Today's scripture reading will be coming from uh, the book of Mark, chapter 6, verses 30 through uh, 44. If you're using a worship center Bible, uh, the passage is located on page 841 uh, in the bottom right corner. Hear the word of the Lord. The, The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. Now many saw them going and recognized them, and they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. And he went When it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and the hour is now late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered them, You give them something to eat. And they said to him, Shall we go and buy two hundred denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? And he said to them, How many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they had found out, they said, five and two fish. Then he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. Then they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish. And those who ate the loaves were 5,000 men. This is the word of the Lord. Well, Nashville is the place to be this weekend. I heard that over 500,000 people were visiting our town this weekend alone. And there are many reasons. There are the perpetual influx of bachelorette parties. There are uh, music events going on. There's a Music City Marathon. And of course, the draw that pulled so many people together this weekend was the NFL Draft. That's right. And this big draw is a time when 32 uh, fan bases come together in one city and they cheer, and they paint their faces, and they get dressed up to see who their team would select for this upcoming season. And the people get excited because of several things. First, there's this huge production. I actually got to go down to Broadway a little bit over the weekend, and I see this four-story stage and these LED screens all over it. And during the draft, they're showing these players up on the big screens. And they're telling their stories. And they're showing how they overcome adversity and all the things they've been through in their lives. And then they show some of their amazing athletic feats. And I think that's the other thing that's really exciting about some of these, especially the first-round draft choices, is they are so incredibly gifted in what they do. I mean, it starts with the the practices, the two-a-days, the countless hours in the weight room, the the 40-yard dash, the bench press test, the broad jump. Everything they're doing is amazing. And that is why they get paid the big bucks. In fact, 5% of a uh, team's roster gets paid 80% of the money. Why? Because these people, this 5%, can outperform anybody. 
They are so sufficient in themselves. And these 22-year-old sufficient uh, Greek gods, it seems like, rely on themselves and their abilities for the upcoming season. They have the skill to do it, and they know how to perform to perfection. Now, in this passage today, we see that the disciples are off to a great start as well, right? They just come back from evangelizing and overcoming adversity, and they're healing people, right? They're casting out demons. And the way they do it is overcoming so much adversity because Jesus doesn't allow them to take any food, take no money, no bags for supply, just a staff. Yet they perform. They, they, they heal the sick. They cast out demons. And now they're walking on their four-story stage to tell Jesus all they had taught and done. And then they get the real test. Jesus says, hey, these people are hungry. Go feed them. And how do they perform? Well, they fail miserably. And they fail because they fail to see who the true Christ is. They have the Messiah standing right in front of them. And what do they do? They say, but Jesus, it's about us. We can't do it. We don't have the supplies. We don't have enough money. They, 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 taunt, they disrespect their rabbi by asking him that very question. They get caught up in their self-sufficiency and try to minister out of their own strength. We're often the same way, aren't we? When we have uh, too much at hand, when we're tested, we seek our own strength, we seek ourselves, and we turn to our abilities to answer the problem and, rather than Christ. And often we too get defensive in our self-sufficiency. But this text reminds us, and actually there are four, all four Gospels talk about this text, and they all remind us of the same thing. Self-sufficiency, it doesn't work. Only Christ can supply what we need. And we're to seek Him in our weakness. And how does He supply us? He does it in three ways. One, He reveals our deficiency. He reveals His sufficiency. And He leaves us satisfied. So let's get right into it. First, Jesus reveals our deficiencies. Jesus is setting the disciples out on this evangelistic campaign, right? And they go from town to town in Galilee. And they're called, if you remember what he asked them to do, he says, listen, if they reject you, shake the dust off your feet and get out of there. But if they ask you to stay, then preach the gospel. Do what you're called to do. Perform for them. Preach the good news. Heal the sick and cast out demons. So they come back to tell Jesus all they had done. And then all of a sudden, as they're telling Jesus this, the crowd, which they had then uh, performed so many miraculous things, they come and they follow and they, and they, they, they crowd Jesus. They crowd the disciples. And Jesus says, well, we've we got to get away. We need some rest. The disciples couldn't even eat at the time. So he takes them in a boat and he travels across the Sea of Galilee. Well, the Sea of Galilee, this trip is about four miles. And it must have been uh, slow winds or maybe even counter winds because they're going... But the crowd on the shore starts following them. And it's about eight miles from where they're going. And the the Gospel of Luke says that they're going to a place, a desolate place near Bethsaida. Yet the crowd is following them along the shore. And by the time Jesus and the disciples land, the, the, the crowd is there to meet them. And so I imagine this crowd, as they're, they're, uh, they're picking up speed, they've got a good 40-yard dash time as well, they're telling people about all the different things Jesus had done on the way, and the crowd is picking up more and more people along the way. And soon they get to this death, desolate place, and, they, and Jesus and the disciples see the crowd on the shore. And when they land, it says Jesus has a great compassion on them, like a shepherd does to a sheep. 
And so he, he goes to teach them. He teaches them all day long, and it's getting late. And the disciples say, hey, this is a desolate place, and the hour is now late. Let us send the people away to go into the villages and give them something to eat. But there's no fast food restaurants around. They've got to travel away. But what does Jesus do? He challenges the disciples, right? He says this. He says, you give him something to eat. He says, hey, listen, you've performed all these, uh, these miraculous things. Why don't you go take care of their needs? So they look at themselves, and they do what I would do. Say, well, I, I don't have enough. I, I don't have what it takes. They say, shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread, which is about eight months worth of wages for these people? You can't ask this of us. We don't have what it takes. But they're looking at the obstacles and they're not seeing him. So Jesus commands them to do an impossible task. And they must learn, as we must learn, Jesus often commands the impossible. Why? Because the reason's obvious. He intends to do the work himself. And he wants us to learn something along the way. So God shows us, not only he challenges us, but he also shows us where we fall short. And he says, how many loaves do you have to the disciples? Go and see. So the disciples look and they see what they have. And what do they get? They get five loaves and two fish. Now, the, the Gospel of John says that they got these five barley cake loaves, these little flat cakes, and two fish. And, and the word for fish is tiny fish. So they got these five barley cake loaves, two little fish, two little sardines. And here they are. They're supposed to feed the 5,000. And this, this uh, barley cakes was a sign of a poor man's lunch. So not only are they providing food, but it's not enough, and it's not even of a good substance. And so they're to take this and feed 5,000? And it's, it says 5,000 men, but that means there's probably even more people, the, men, uh, the women and the children. It's probably more like seven or 8,000. So the disciples are stuck because their need around them is greater than the resources. They don't have what it takes. And so often, we, are, we as Christians are in this situation, right? We get placed in positions, whether it's ministry or not, where the needs are greater than the resources. Where, whether you work at home with your family, or whether you're at a bank, or whether you're at a factory, or whether you're at a school, there are hungry crowds all around. And you can't do enough to meet their needs, And we think, man, if I just had a little bit more, right? And Whatever it is, whether it's a little bit more time, if I just had a little bit more uh, money, if I just had a little bit more ability, then I could accomplish the things that I'm supposed to. And we try in our own self-sufficiency to solve the problem, to meet the needs of the people. We try, we strain, but then we get exhausted. And then we leave ourselves hopeless. We don't have enough to meet the needs around us. So God challenges us, and then he shows us we're not enough, that we're deficient. And this often leads us, I don't know about you, but to me, to a place of shame. You know, shame is not new to us. It's been around uh, ever since the beginning of of time with Adam and Eve, right? Adam and Eve, they wanted to be self-sufficient. They wanted to be like God. So what did they do? They ate from the tree the knowledge of good and evil. And what happens? They realize that they aren't sufficient. And so they cover themselves in fig leaves, and they go and hide. And then God finds them. Often we think we should be like God. We should be self-sufficient. But we're not. A definition of shame that a counselor friend of mine, uh, you know, shame being uh, um, you're embarrassed or you're humiliated. A friend of mine uh, uses the acronym of shame, S-H-A-M-E, should have already mastered everything. 
You get that, right? I mean, doesn't it feel like that? Man, I should have, I should have had that taken care of. Man, I should have said this. I should have done that. And it's this huge cloud that swallows up a person. Shame is real. When others around you are smarter. When others around you are better looking. When others around you are funnier. Or they, they do nicer things to people. And it leads you to a place where you realize you don't measure up. And you feel shame. Now, there are two kinds of outcomes for shame. The first kind of outcome is the bad shame. It starts with a circumstance that, hey, there's something wrong with the situation. And it quickly turns to a self-centered, self-loathing, something is wrong, not with the situation, but something is wrong with me. Where I'm not enough. And it becomes a self-loathing activity where we start focusing on how incapable we are. So it goes kind of like this. So I've heard. I, I didn't do what I should have done. I'm not going to do that again. I'm going to uh, make this new step in my system so it'll never happen again. And then we try it. And it doesn't work. And then we go down in this cycle over and over and over again. And all it does is it just helps us or it forces us to recommit to something greater and harder and really something that's impossible. That's the bad shame. So what's the good shame, Casey? And is there such thing as a good shame? <clears throat> But the second type of shame that's good takes you from a place where I'm not enough to, you know what? I'm not. It takes you from a place of humiliation to humility. Because if we come to a place of humility, then we see, well, if I'm not enough, then who is? And that's the answer in this text today. Who can solve this situation when there are so many needs and we aren't enough? The answer is Christ. I went to seminary, um, oh golly, it was probably about 10 years ago now. And I was a believer for probably only three or four years at the time. And I, I really wasn't sure what I wanted to do. And um, I thought, well, I'll go to seminary and get an education. And while I'm there, I'll figure out what I want to do. But you know, there's one thing I definitely don't want to do. And that's be a pastor, right? Because they're boring, they're lame, they never have any fun. <clears throat> and also... They're, they're so smart and they're really good with people and, well, they're holier, right? So, man, I, I, I can't live up to that expectation. And so I went to seminary and it was my second year. I'm at this barbecue dinner and this pr- pastor named Zach Eswine comes up and I'd never heard of him before. He was from some small church in, in St. Louis and he starts talking. He starts talking about poetry and my eyes glaze over and, I'm thinking, okay, well, what about that test I have tomorrow? And I got to finish that paper. And in the middle of the poem, he stops and he says, how many of you are wondering whether tonight was a good night for you to come to this barbecue? And how many of you are wondering whether or not you think this is actually valuable for you in your train of success to do the, the best education you can, to get the best possible resume, to get the best possible job as a pastor? And I'm thinking, okay, he's got me. And he starts talking about this. And, and he, it's like he's, he's, he's speaking to me. Because I want to be more successful. I want to be self-sufficient. There are so many places in society that expect that from us. If we could just be all-knowing. We could just be uh, all-powerful. We could do the things and have the best ability ever. If we could just be ever-present. If we could just be at everything. Then we will have what it takes. And then he says this. And he closes this. And he says, he says, the best thing you can do as a pastor for your congregation is to show them your deficiencies. Show them where you fall short because it's here in your deficiencies. Then you can most clearly show Christ's 
sufficiency in their lives. And that point right there, I went home and talked to my wife and I said, honey, I don't have it takes to what, what it takes to be a pastor. And she's like, what are you talking about? I said, I don't have what it takes, but Christ does. And it brought me to a place where I actually thought about going into ministry, which, you know, the end of the story. Here we are. Sam Albury said this in a recent Gospel Coalition article. He said, we are not just Jesus's PR agents and he is not our client. We are broken men and women, and he is our Savior. It's not the case that I need to look good so Jesus can look good. I need to be honest about my colossal spiritual need so that he can look all-sufficient. I don't increase so he can increase. I decrease so he can increase. That, That means that being honest about my flaws and not being embarrassed about them is where I'm supposed to be. How many of you need to hear that this morning? That I'm embarrassed about myself. That I'm not enough. Yet Christ is. That's exactly where Christ wants you. You're going to spend your life around needy people who want something from you that you can't give them. And the expectation is that you'll be able to meet those needs. That's the myth. The reality is is that you can't. But God can. Whoever said God isn't going to give you more than you can handle is a liar and never read scripture (laughs) and has never been around anyone in this world. It's the reason that we don't have an answer to our 13-year-old that is struggling with an eating disability. Where a mother is dying in the hospital and we don't have an answer and there's nothing the doctors can do. Or when you're so lonely in marriage, you just want to die. Jesus allows you to be in those places. Why? Because it's only in those places that you will truly see how deficient you are and how sufficient he is for that time. Christ alone is sufficient. Now, how does he show his sufficiency? Well, first, look with me in verse 39. It says this. He commanded them to sit down in the groups on the green grass. And so they sat down in groups by the hundreds and by the fifties. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven, said a blessing, and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the the people. Christ performs a miracle. He takes what isn't there and he creates enough food for 5,000 people. I've heard at a, uh, I was at a, 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 um, I actually heard this from a pulpit in Nashville where a a pastor said, you know what? There wasn't an actual miracle. It was more like an ethical miracle where Jesus, he inspired people by breaking the fish and the loaves to share their lunches, and the 5,000 were fed because everyone else shared their lunches together. Isn't that great? I'm thinking, that's not great. That makes Jesus look lame. But Jesus isn't some Coca-Cola commercial that makes you want to give a Coke to a friend, right? He's, He's making this miracle happen for real. And how does he do it? He uses ordinary means and ordinary people. I mean, he takes ordinary means. Listen to this. A poor man's lunch, five barley cakes, and two sardines, and he feeds 5,000, right? What an amazing thing. Did Jesus have to use the little boy's lunch? No. He could have called things down from the sky, and they could have just appeared, but no, he used ordinary means to prove to people that it was him. And then he used ordinary people, right? Jesus' disciples are really actually not first-round draft picks. They're tax collectors. They're fishermen, they're zealots. They're these people that don't really have these extraordinary gifts. 
And if you look at the end of verse 41, this is what it says. It says, he gave them fish and loaves to the disciples to set before the people. This is such a powerful aspect of the story. Because Jesus didn't have to use ordinary means. He also didn't have to use ordinary people. Right? He could have taken the fish and the loaves, made the miracle happen right in front of him, and then distributed it out to people himself. Right? Taking the glory. But what did he do? He invited ordinary people to be a part of his ministry. And not only that, but the people that rejected him just a few moments earlier, that didn't see his true identity, and took it all upon themselves and their own self-sufficiency rather than turning to him. He used those kind of people. Can you relate to that? Jesus uh, uses ordinary means, ordinary people, and he also uses us in our weakness. Right? He uses us in our weakness. He doesn't just use our strengths. You know, some people think, well, I'm only going to minister to the places where I'm really strong. Right? I'm good at this, I'm good at this, so I'm going to do that. But in reality, there are a lot of times when Jesus uses where we are most weak to minister. Why? Because, again, he wants to show his sufficiency in our weakness. He wants to show that he is God and we are not. Because it allows us to take absolutely no credit for what happens. God says to the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 12, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is what? Made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly in my weaknesses. For when I'm weak, then I'm strong. That is where Christ and God works most strongly is in our weakness. So do you have weaknesses? Do you feel them? Do you often feel like, man, I'm too weak to help. I don't have, I don't have anything good to offer the group. Or perhaps you feel like you're damaged goods. Well, man, I rejected God. Or I did this. Or this is what I've done in my past. Therefore, I am no longer good to Jesus. That is not true. And that is a lie from the pit of hell. Jesus is enough. He is sufficient. And he will use you no matter how weak or how broken you are. Why does he do this? He uses our brokenness, our weakness... Because he wants to teach us it's about bringing to the table what you have and letting God supply the rest. Taking your five barley cake loaves and your two little fish and giving it to Christ and watching him work. The myth is that we need to do things amazingly. We need to be spectacular. We need to be in a four-story stage. But the reality is, as Zach Eswine, the pastor I mentioned earlier, said, people think... It's better to do things famous and fast, but most things that truly matter need small acts of often overlooked love over a long period of time. That is something you can do. So God challenges us. He shows us our deficiency. He reveals his sufficiency. And lastly, he leaves us satisfied. Look at verse 42 with me. It says, and they all ate and they were satisfied. Isn't that a wonderful sentence? That's the point where you say the end. You know, that's the end of the the story, the fairy tale. And Mark chooses to use that word satisfied, which to show that that the people were not only satisfied, but they were filled. They were fulfilled. Like, it's not just like, hey, yeah, I had dinner. But no, I had turkey dinner. I had mashed potatoes. I had gravy. I had some stuffing. And then I finished it up with a half of a pecan pie. That kind of feeling satisfied, that's what Christ offers. And not only in this situation, 
did he fill the crowd's needs, but he also left 12 baskets. Now that's beautiful. The word for baskets means personal basket, right? It wasn't like a big hamper basket like they do the one that carried Paul down from the window. It was a little personal basket, 12 of them. Why? So that the disciples could see that not only had he filled the needs of the crowd, but he had fulfilled their own personal need as well. The ones who rejected him, they were taken care of. Jesus satisfies us. He replenishes us. That's what Jesus does, and that's what he's showing us in this account. The beautiful thing for a first century Jew to be sitting in this place, in a desolate place, in the wilderness is the literal translation. Imagine this, sitting in the wilderness, sitting like Moses in Exodus, sitting in the wilderness, and just like Moses' account when they sat down in fifties and hundreds, the same words used when they talk about Moses sitting down his people, and then like Moses who looks to heaven and bread comes down, Jesus supplies the people with bread, enough to be satisfied to the fullest. Jesus is the greater Moses. He's also the greater King Shepherd. So if you think Psalm 23, right? The Lord is my shepherd. What do they, what does the apostle Mark, or what does uh, the gospel of Mark uh, call Jesus? He said that he had compassion on the crowd because he saw them like a a shepherd to his sheep. Jesus is the greater shepherd. He has them sit down in green grass. You make me lie down in green pastures, Psalm 23 says. You you have me lie beside still waters. Jesus sets the table for the crowd, just like the psalmist says. You prepare a table for me to provide. Jesus Christ is the greater Moses. He's the greater shepherd king. And he will provide so much more for us than a physical meal. He shows us we're deficient. He shows us where he is sufficient. And then he leaves us satisfied. And we have an opportunity in closing to come to a table where Jesus offers us the same meal. He says, listen, take and eat and be filled. And the only thing he requires of us is everything. It's this. He says, come to me and bring what you have. Bring who you are in your brokenness, in your weakness, in your shame. Bring what you have to me and I will take you and I will bless you and I will break you and I will distribute you out for my kingdom and my glory. Jesus, that Jesus is there for you as well. Come and eat. Let's pray.